This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. Turn on the Jets Podcast. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. For this week's episode, we're joined by Brian Bassett, longtime owner and editor of the Jets blog, now has his very own podcast on the Turn on the Jets digital network. We are going to talk New York Jets free agency expectations. We talked for about a half hour. Uh, we're going to dive into that interview in the next minute or so. Just a reminder to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes. It's also available on Spotify and Google Play. Uh, we'll likely be back with another mailbag episode this Saturday, and we'll stick to two episodes a week throughout March and early April as free agency is ramping up. So that's basically it. Appreciate all the feedback and all the recent episodes, especially the Sopranos one, since we went a little outside of the bat, outside of the box with that one. Um, and with that, we're going to jump into our interview with Brian. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. And we are now joined by this week's guest, Brian Bassett, longtime friend of the pod, uh, founder of the Jets blog, Jets Twitter, Jets Analysis, OG, I guess is the best way to put it. I mean, he's... He's that's what Scott says. That's what Scott says. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure there were people – there were people out doing it before me. I feel – I can't believe it because two things occurred to me. So number one, um, there was a guy who was on NJ.com and I, I for, I'm forgetting his name and it makes me feel silly. But he did a blog called – it was originally called The Jet Stream on NJ.com um, and he was awesome. I want to say – was it Bob Bullock? can't remember i think it was bob bullock anyway and then my my father uh my godfather did like he did like a newsletter like in the 80s and 90s like he he literally sent out a newsletter and then once email came about he transitioned so like uh i was just following in the footsteps of many wonderful people before me and now we have all these ways i'm sure there's going to be someday joe and you know an og of jet snapchatting uh maybe there probably already is and, and i'm just unaware Hey, it's an evolving ecosystem out there. We're we're still out here throwing these podcasts out, throwing out these takes, and we had to talk to you before free agency hits another year of this being the biggest year of Jets free agency ever. I feel like it was just yesterday they had $100 million in cap space ready to attack free agency, and then I feel like it was just a few years since 2015 when they had that, and 2014, and 2011, and Back all the way to 2008, which I think is the last time they somewhat successfully executed like a massive, massive mm-hmm. offseason uh, where they made a ton of big name moves. Now, there wasn't an immediate uh, success. Obviously, they missed the playoffs with Brett Favre. But that was the year they got like Fanica, Damian Woody, Calvin Pace, yep. Tony Richardson, Chris Jenkins. And a lot of that sort of laid the groundwork for success in 2009 and 2010. How are you feeling at this point? Uh, I guess what I would say is I think the big, the big difference, right, in, in 2008 was, uh, I guess, yeah, Chad Pennington was, was supposed to be the starter, right? And then, so then we got Favre over the summer and they shipped him or cut him or whatever. So, like, but his shoulder, as much as I love Chad Pennington, like, his shoulder was, was suspect, right? And there's just so many concerns around that and his health and all that sort of thing. So, so, you know, I, I definitely felt worried. I felt like they had built the team up around him. And I think we're kind of in this inverse s- situation where 
I think by and large, Jets fans are pretty confident in what we've seen from Sam Darnold. Certainly, it was a small sample size, but you know, you look at you know one of the youngest NFL starters uh, ever to to start an NFL game to that you know to then kind of figure it out despite his coaching by the end of the season. Uh, and right, and now you kind of have the the opportunity to make the team better around him. I certainly think there's hope. I'm not going to say that this team is you know going to win 12 games next year, but I certainly think we're going to see better results than we did in um, last year. Just as a function of there's there, there's going to be more to work with. There has to be more to work with. But right, the, I think the question is. Will the front office make smart decisions, you know, make smart, um, smart signings or trades or whatever to acquire players? And I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I'm seeing some things that that make me feel good about where they're probably going to spend their money. W- what about you? I know, obviously, Le'Veon Bell's the big talk. Uh, how do you feel about Le'Veon Bell? My sense is you you would like him and feel like he could be a a part of this team. Yes. Yeah, and I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I dipped my toe in the water with the pro Levion talk earlier in the year, and the yep. more I looked at the Jets situation and how much cap space they have, and the rare situation of having a quarterback on a rookie deal and having a guy who's a three-time mm-hmm. All-Pro and an all, at an offensive skill position where the Jets are always so barren. I think it's a rare, unique situation where they could pay Levion as fifteen million per year and still have the second most cap space in the NFL, and. I just think the drop-off from him to the plan B of Tevin Coleman, and I like Tevin Coleman mm-hmm. a lot. I don't want to give up. I think I, you know, t- Nuance is, of course, dead on Twitter. And I, I feel like I don't <laughs> want people to have the impression that I don't think Tevin Coleman's a good player. I do. I think he's better than what they have now. But Le'Veon Bell, probably going to be a Hall of Fame player if he does well on this second contract. Tevin, Tevin Coleman's not that guy. I mean, Tevin Coleman, I don't think anyone's going to expect him to be a top 10 running back in the league, where I think with Bell, you're saying that he will be a, a very good to great running back, but also catch 50, 60, 70 passes for you, which is good on a team that has you know some holes at receiver and some question marks there, and be solid in pass pro. So I just don't... I don't get the sort of either-or framing where they could pay Bell and go pay Roger Saffold and pay Matt Paradis and still have money to go sign a pass rusher. There's enough flexibility to do that. And it, it, Bell is not 30 or 31. He's 27 uh, right. and got the year off. So, look, I want him. I think the Jets should be aggressive in going to get him. And that's all I want to see. They can't mm-hmm. force him to sign. Uh, but they need to make an active bid for him. Uh, and not put their hands up and say, we're, we're not even going to try. And I do think there's paths to a successful offseason that don't involve them landing Le'Veon Bell. I think if you quickly pivot to your plan B, you sign Tevin Coleman. I'm very worried that they're going to give him like the Jarek McKinnon contract plus a few million, Ooh, which is yeah. pretty rich for a guy who is just really- face planted, who just face planted on an indoor team, you know, who could run on a track. Uh, without Devonta Freeman, you know, basically in front of him on the depth chart. I mean, he had that my biggest, I, I like Tevin Coleman. I think I liked the idea of going after Tevin Coleman going like maybe in September of, of the year, but having seen what he did with a, you know, in, injured reserve Devonta Freeman, I'm just worried that, he, you know, how is, how is a, a home run straight line threat 
guy who just had the opportunity to, to take on a major workload and was losing touches to Ito Smith, who is, I mean, a fine player, but not an amazing player. Um, how does that situation play out and, and work to his favor in New York, in a cold environment, outside of a dome, where he's not going to have the same running lanes he had in, in Atlanta. Um, I mean, Atlanta was pretty pretty bad for the most part, but um, but anyway, the the whole the whole point there is just that uh, right. If if the difference is Le'Veon Bell or or Tevin Coleman, like depending on the money, I, I certainly think there's. I'm open to the to them going after Le'Veon Bell. I certainly right. I don't want to get in that that ugly middle contract. For a guy like Tevin Coleman, giving him Jarek McKinnon money, I think, is a mistake, to your point. Um, I would much rather them trade for Duke Johnson. Personally, that would be the move that would make me the most happy, is trade for Duke Johnson, a guy who you can probably get for a fourth rounder or some thereabouts, um, uh, who is who can be a satellite back, who can be a you know a take take on a workload, and who's you know obviously stuck behind Nick Chubb, and you know and now with the Cream Hunt signing, like that to me is the perfect thing. And like m- from a money perspective, it's roughly going to be about five million a year or so. That's fine, do it, um, and you get him for I guess two more years at this point. So. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. Like, uh, certainly, I think people have to temper their expectations if they want Le'Veon Bell. He's not going to put up the same kind of video game numbers that he put up in Pittsburgh because he doesn't have Ben Roethlisberger, he doesn't have Antonio Brown, he doesn't have you know whatever. I guess it was a rookie Juju Smith-Schuster or Emmanuel Sanders or any of the other guys who have been through there. Um, it's a you know a young quarterback, a bad offensive line that's trying to repair itself, um, and you know a kind of untested offensive uh offensive you know kind of scheme this is the overtime podcast network like you said you're gonna get that that pittsburgh box score but i do think you know he's still a guy who can find a way to produce when everything is not perfect around them and i think the feedback i mostly got from coleman from the people who follow and cover the falcons is like if you get him in space and he has to run a straight line like he's gonna make some big plays for you yeah i just don't try to sell a narrative that we didn't want to pay Le'Veon Bell 15 or 16 million, but we're going to pay Tevin Coleman 11 or 12 million a year. It's like, come on. That. <laughs> yeah. That, that to me is, that's a mistake, right? Yeah. Don't do that. Right. Just go, go the extra four or, you know, six or whatever it's going to take to get Le'Veon Bell. Um, but right. Paying, it's kind of like the, um, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of the, the worst of both worlds, right? You get the lesser talent player and you, and you just you soak up a bunch of calf space for a, for a guy who's probably, I don't know, not, not going to perform to his contract. So if you're, if you're going to pay a guy who's not going to perform to his contract at a position that is, you know, generally devalued in the NFL, like you might as well pay Le'Veon Bell or right. You go way down and you get a Duke Johnson type player. Like that's kind of my thought, but right. I would say, I don't think the answer is coming out of the draft. Um, you know, you look at the class, you look at the way the guys tested, um, you know, this is a wide receiver, rich class. This is not a running back rich class as best I can tell. Exactly. And it's hard to have faith that this regime is going to unearth some middle round or late round gem and running back who's going to make an immediate impact in year one. So I think, yeah. you know, pivoting to elsewhere on the offense, you look at the offensive line and this is, I think everyone agrees the Jets mm-hmm. probably need to try to find two new stars and, and some yes. best on top of that. And 
it's not a very deep class when you look at starting caliber offensive linemen. You look at center, it's two people. It's Matt Paradis, it's Mitch Morse. Those are two guys who I think could come in and be notable upgrades over Spencer Long. It does look like John Sullivan might hit the market. He's 33. you got to figure how much do you want to potentially get in the market for someone at that age. And then elsewhere, guard is really Roger, Roger Saffold and then a bunch of guys mm-hmm. who are debatably not better than James Carpenter or Brian Winters. You know, the John Miller or Roman Foster. There's no one really, like, jumping off the page. Tackle, you know, Trent Brown will probably get the richest contract, and there is some risk associated with that. Uh, Darrell Williams is a guy who was a previous All-Pro, but coming off a serious injury. You know, after that, again, like, it it gets pretty thin. So the Jets are going to have to move pretty quick here. I think center is the most urgent spot, and I could see them – going above and beyond to get a guy like Paradis who's coming off a major injury. So again, there's some risk there too. Mm-hmm. That's part of it for free agency. They just, they have to find some kind of answer at center because there's just a gaping hole there right now. I don't know if it's realistic though to expect them to land two starting offensive linemen. I mean, there's like seven starting offensive linemen with the market. So is it unrealistic to expect the Jets to land two of the seven? Well, I mean, if they're going to do it, they're just going to have to overpay for it, right? And that means, you know, tightening your belt elsewhere. I understand that they have the second most cap space, but, um, right, you're you're just going to overpay. And, right, it sounds like uh, Connor Hughes reported yesterday that Saffold is someone who the Jets have a, you know, have a, um, have a serious interest in. I think Saffold would be a great, um, you know, addition to this, to this group. Um, certainly... One would think if if the Jets were smart, they would use basically their third their third overall pick and take a tackle, or maybe hopefully my, my hope fingers crossed is that they can move back, um, pick up some extra picks, you know, later on second third round whatever, uh, and then and then use it on you know maybe more in the middle of where they're going to get some offensive linemen and not have to reach for for a player like that. Um, but you know, you add someone like Saffold, you add a tackle and right. You add a center. I think quickly your, your line turns around pretty quickly, but you're, but you're right. If there's, if there's, and I think you're right, just in terms of your assessment, if there's roughly seven quality starter level offensive linemen, like you're just going to have to overpay for the position. Kind of like the jets did with Calvin Pace going back to 2008. Like, I mean, I love Calvin Pace. He was one of my favorite players, but they, kind of overpaid for him and the value that he offered the team didn't show up in the box score all the time you know he set the edge he did all you know some of the dirty work he certainly got sacks here and there there were more timing sacks or coverage sacks or, or that sort of thing um but you know he he was an invaluable part of the 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 defense for a long time i think that's going to be kind of the same thing here you're going to just have to overpay for somebody that you want and think you know you can plug in for the next five or more years um and just right know know what you're doing and then the market will catch up to you you know hopefully in, in the next three years in terms of what you're paying that person this is the overtime podcast network yeah, I definitely don't have a problem with a Saffold. It kind of reminds me of the Alan Fanica, Alan Fanica mm-hmm. situation. And you get, mm-hmm. you get two, maybe three decent years from him to line up well with Darnold's rookie contract, and he helps solidify the interior of that offensive line. Um, I'm really – I don't have much expectations at the receiver position. I hate the names that they've been linked with so far. <laughs> I mean – 
again with their who who the, remind me because I'm I'm trying to think I'm just going back who I mean th- they're out on curse which is great Thank Cole you, Beasley is, yeah. is 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 that who you're talking about Cole Beasley I'm talking more about Danny Amendola uh, oh Dante oh. Moncrief and like oh look, right if they're going to spend a receiver like spend. It doesn't seem like there are some reports now that they might get in the mix for Antonio Brown. I don't know if I buy that. I think it's more like we just want to show people that we're in the yeah, mix. I don't think they're really trying. in the mix, but I could be wrong. I maybe. Uh, if you want a young, talented slot receiver, go pay Adam Humphreys. Now, he's going to get overpaid, but he's 25. He's gotten better every single year. He's got good size. He's been durable. Don't pay Danny Amendola, who's eight years older than him and has gotten worse every single year and is not going to be productive away from Tom Brady. I don't know, but again, about Cole Beasley. I also don't think he's leaving Dallas. Dante Moncrief is a spare part, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't know. Like, it, There's not a lot of great answers. I, I like Humphreys. I like Jamison Crowder. I think he could be a good value guy that allows you to have more flexibility with the new on moving around the formation. The answer might be, you know, we really can't fix receiver with everything else we have to fix, so we're going to lead on a guy like Bell or Coleman catching a lot of passes, and we're going to find a second tight end in the draft. Uh, who could help complement Herndon so we could use him more at receiver. But for God's sakes, like, do not go sign Danny Amendola to a two-year <laughs> contract. Like, like, I cannot. Like, I can't even – I'm already annoyed with the, the future rationalizations and justifications for such a stupid signing that would be. Uh, what are your thoughts on the receiver? I mean, on, on Amendola, you know, specifically – um, you know, you obviously, I think it's it's convenient is probably the best way to say it is Amendola is convenient because he was just on the Dolphins. Right. Um, but, you know, in terms of like what he offers the team, I don't really know what a hundred and eighty six pound, you know, Wes Welker type player who is thirty three years old. Uh, you know, coming off a season where he basically was a, you know, kind of fantasy you know, like I don't even know. I don't even know where he wound up. But like, I mean, he's a he's a replacement level player. He's a you know he's a below average slot player at this point. Like, it's just just there's no value in it. And so like, I, I don't see why you would do something like that versus right. I don't know. Let some of the the younger guys that are already on your roster have the opportunity to step up. I just I don't see the value someone like Dan the Amendola does adds to this team it, over a Quincy Anunua or um, a Robbie Anderson or or whoever. It you know Cole Beasley. I mean I don't know maybe Cole Beasley's marginally better, but he's the same kind of ki- kind of player. Um, and you know Cole Beasley's talking about you know wherever he's going to go, uh, he w- basically targets are, are going to be what dictates where he winds up. He's going to go to a team that that's going to want to heavily target him. Well, that's fine, but I just don't know how many targets there's going to be in New York for Cole Beasley. So it seems to me like Gase is the, the signals that I'm getting are he's trying to add like a locker room person, um, you know, a kind of captain. And it's like, if you're going to do that, like, just re-sign Jermaine Curse. Now I understand there's not a continuity between the coach and the and the player, but like I, I kind of think Jermaine Curse can offer that uh, for roughly a lot less money. So so I mean, if Cole Beasley wants ten million dollars a year, like I'm out. Like I am out. There's just no interest in that. Um, and then you mentioned uh, Dante Moncrief. 
I don't hate Dante Moncrief. I think I liked him. I mean, he he seemed to play well when he was playing with Andrew Luck. Uh, but you know, you put him in, <laughs> you put him, you know, with Blake Bortles and the Jaguars. You know, on a terrible season. You know, certainly it, it looked bad for for what Dante Moncrief did. I mean, he's not a super hyper productive player, dominant player, uh, but he certainly has the measurables. Um, you know, when you kind of look at kind of his size, speed, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I'm not the none of these people are players that I'm willing to break the bank for and you know, I mean, would it be fun and interesting to see Antonio Brown come to the Jets? Of course. I just don't think that's where he wants to wind up. I think he wants to go to a place where he can stick it in the in the Steelers' craw by, you know, contending, right? And that's probably going to be a place like San Francisco or, you know, Indianapolis or some place where there's kind of the coach and a quarterback that are probably primed for stepping up a little bit um, and, you know. And 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 an organization that would be willing to put up with his uh, his antics. I mean, unless it's just he's unless Antonio Brown is just doing this just to um, shoot his way out of town, which is entirely possible. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Looking at the defensive side of the football, Jets for the 684th year in a row, looking for a pass rusher and looking for yeah. some juice off the edge. Uh, the market is unsurprisingly thinned out uh, with everybody getting franchise tag because teams don't like to let their pass rushers leave. Really, it's basically you have yeah. Trey Flowers, Preston Smith, Dante Fowler. Now it sounds like Justin Houston uh, will be out there. And then after that, not really you know, kind of any notable names. The Jets have most commonly been linked to Fowler, which not overly excited about. I do think for a year or two or in a more of a proven situation, I get, I get it. I'd rather go all in on getting Flowers or even play, pay Smith before Fowler, but you know we'll see how that goes. I want nothing to do with Ezekiel Ansah at this point. Um, I'm trying to temper my expectations, you know, here because again, that's even a smaller cluster of people uh, to debate with. I just my I'm hoping best case scenario they find a way to get Flowers because I like how versatile he is and I think he's the top mm-hmm. of the market. I'm concerned about. A three, a, a Tremaine Johnson light contract for Fowler <laughs> that you can't get out of until year three, and right, he comes right. out and has six or seven sacks every year, and is tweeting a bunch of crap, and is a problem in the locker room, and is getting suspended for a game here or there. I don't know. I'm wary of paying that guy. What do you think of the, the linebacker collection out there? I think here, here's what I would say. I think I was much more worried about finding a outside linebacker, yeah, defensive end, I guess, in this scheme, um, than I was a couple weeks ago. And I, what I, I think what's driving it is whatever's happening with Kyler Murray. Um, so if if Kyler Murray is going to be the 101 in the in the NFL draft. Like that changes the equation for everything, right? Because the thought two months ago going into this was, well, you know, Nick Bosa will go one, uh, Josh Allen will go two, 
and then the Jets will kind of have to make do with, you know, whatever's left, Quinn and Williams or, you know, a quarterback of some kind, uh, you know, and then it kind of, you know, whatever, just, it, it you know, it was very, un, it was very muddled. I think all the stuff with Kyler Kyle Murray seemed to be leading towards this. He's going first overall, which obviously pushes down who's available to them at that third pick. And so now you can't go to through, through free agency planning for who or who won't be available to you with the third pick in the, in the NFL draft. But I would certainly feel a lot better if they left that position unsigned, um, you know, focused on the offensive side of the ball, whether it's, um, you know, finding some, some offensive skill players or, or line players uh, to help them out. And then, uh, get someone like Josh Allen at three, like that would be amazing. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, I, th- I would say that's the only, that's the big thing is Kyler Murray has kind of changed the way I felt about it. Um, because now you're looking at the opportunity for, for Allen making it to three. I do understand the fact that Josh Allen is more of a three, four type player, but if he's as good as people say he is, he can play with his hand down. I, you know, or they'll just scheme, you know, if coaches are actually smart um, and do what they should, then they should find a way to put someone like Josh Allen in a position to succeed. But, you know, that's a lot asking for, for, for NFL coaches is to actually, you know, use the players they have in the ways that would, you know, make sense for their strengths. Yeah, it's a, it's a, high, <laughs> it's a high bar to clear for most of the league, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Any other... Any other names that there's always like I, I've talked about this. There's always like a random name or two, not maybe random that a guy that we don't talk about that much that the Jets seem to like sign in the first three days of free agency. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of Eric Decker talk the year they signed him. There wasn't a lot of Avery Williamson talk last year when they went all in on Dante Hightower. That kind of came out of nowhere. Who's going to be sort of that mid-level to high-level guy that the Jets randomly are all in on and, and find a way to get that we're not thinking about right now? Hmm, it's a good question. Uh, at defensive end, you're saying, or just at any position? Just, just anywhere. Yeah, just well, anywhere. I think just sticking with defensive end, I guess, um, I would be fascinated to see what they would do with with someone like, um, and my understanding is I think he's going to be coming free, is, is uh, like someone like Seattle's Deion Jordan. Like, I, I know he's kind of bounced around a little bit, but, you know, he's he obviously has that high... Um, uh, you know, high draft pedigree, um, had a chance to revitalize. I mean, he was the third overall pick. Can you believe that? Um, uh, but he's had the chance to revitalize himself. I can't remember if Jordan was there in Miami when, uh, when Gase was there. I can't remember when they went their ways, but, uh, like when, when one went there or the other, uh, 2017. So yeah, he, he would have been there. So they at least have some semblance of a relationship. So it would be, it would be fascinating to see someone like him because I think he's not a, a guy. I don't know what he's going to get paid coming out this year, but, um, he's someone that there is a little bit of a relationship with. He's at a position they need. He's probably not going to get a huge deal. I just don't expect him to be, to break the bank. Um, uh, I mean, he signed a one year deal with Seattle last year for $1.9 million. So, uh, you know, he could be an interesting player and he could kind of get them over, you know, for a year or something, uh, while, while they kind of figure out 
the longer term solution to, to the problem. Uh, and he's 29. So, you know, he's got a year or two left. You play at a high level. Not crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, there's going to be, there's going to be that name or two. Be like, huh? Okay. I didn't think about that, but you know, they're going to have a lot of roster spots to fill. They have like two yeah. players under contract right now, which is always, <laughs> always a fun situation to be in uh, at this point. All right. Before we let you go, Quick rapid fire predictions. Do the Jets sign Le'Veon Bell? Yes or no? No. Okay. Do the Jets sign Roger Saffold? Uh, yes, I think okay. they do because they've got the money and they've got the the um, they've got the need. All right. And do the Jets sign Dante Fowler? <sighs> I hope not. I hope. <laughs> I don't right, know. Strange. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's yeah maybe yeah I mean I, I he, he's one of those kind of guys like a, like a Tevin Coleman where I I could see him getting a big payday based on his age and his name and, you know draft, draft pedigree that sort of thing um, but I just don't know if he'll deliver on whatever whatever he ends up getting. All right, Brian Bassett, appreciate you for joining us. Everyone, give him a follow. On Twitter at Brian underscore Bassett. When's the next podcast coming out? I think we got to get one together soon. I've got a like a big event. I'm planning a data science uh, event for 400 people next week. So that, I mean, I'm on the committee. I'm not doing it all myself. Um, but so once that clears on the 14th, uh, I would expect that we'll be doing a podcast um, shortly thereafter uh, as a as a means of uh, sanity. For me, so I, yeah, I would say I'd love to kind of get in something right in the uh, window between the combine and free agency. So if I can make it happen, I certainly will. I think it'd be a fun time to do it. So yeah, stay tuned. Look for something next week or ten days out at the most. Love to hear that. We will be back next Thursday with some type of crazy reactionary episode to whatever starts happening <laughs> in free agency. And uh, yeah, thank you everybody for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>